Hey, Real Talkers, you had a lot to say after yesterday's interview with David Parker, so we're opening the show with your thoughts, your feedback. Then the president of the rural municipalities of Alberta, they're pretty much the only group that stepped up in support of this wind and solar moratorium. We'll find out why in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, I don't know how we're getting to the end of August already, but that is a fact, friends. It's the 22nd day of the eighth month of the year 2023 and it's Jesperson and Hicks here with you uh, on this show coming up in about 20 minutes time we're going to check in with the president of the rural municipalities of Alberta Paul McLaughlin um, he's a he's a Reeve has been uh, for many many years as a matter of fact 14th year as the facilitator for the Battle Lake Watershed Synergy Group uh, he's been a counselor in Pinocchio County uh, the Reeve in Pinocchio County as you know that's kind of like a mayor uh, as well and, and, and he is kind of going to be today the person speaking on behalf of a group of rural municipalities that say that the province of Alberta is doing the right thing. Uh, They're doing the prudent thing. And I'm going to stop speaking on Paul's behalf right now, but you get the idea. Paul's (laughs) coming on. Uh, This is one of those groups that, that is kind of, I think, swimming against the stream of public commentary definitely right they're not they're not necessarily amongst the loudest voices right now the loudest voices on this uh, to be frank including mine Mm -hmm. and a lot of the guests on this show have have described this government decision as bonkers Mm -hmm. uh as as tone deaf as the wrong move to to for an for more than half a year to just absolutely stop uh, the development of renewable energy infrastructure in the province of Alberta. Alberta, for the past at least year and longer than that, if you look at the numbers, uh, owning leading new renewable development in Canada. Like More than hmm. 75% of new renewable projects in Canada last year were in the province of Alberta. But Premier Danielle Smith, uh, her minister, Newdorf, he's the minister of affordability and utilities, Gosh, how are we doing when it comes to affordability and utilities these days, by the way, Minister? Uh, But they're pressing pause because they say groups like the RMA are telling them that they're concerned about agricultural land, good ag land being used up for things like wind and solar farms. They're concerned about the blight on the landscape, how how, how these things look. Anyway, Paul's going to come on and say all this in his own words. I'm looking forward to that conversation. This isn't the show. If you haven't figured out yet, this isn't the show where we're just going to take one position and and hammer it home. We're just going to spoon feed you one position and one perspective all the time. It's not how we roll. And any talk show that operates like that isn't a talk show that I want to listen to. Which leads me to what we're going to be doing for the first half of the show, and that is getting to your feedback on our conversation yesterday with David Parker. He's the founder, as you know, and the leader of a group called Take Back Alberta, which has taken control of the United Conservative Party board. They've taken control of many constituency associations across the province, conservative constituency associations, and as yesterday he told us, David told us, they've next got their eye on school boards If I'm an engaged Albertan, I want to know what this guy's up to. I want to know a little bit more about what makes him tick. Somebody that claims to have this much influence on the premier of Alberta. And if you listen to the observers and the people that know what they're talking about, there might be something to that claim. So 
We talked to him yesterday for, what, Johnny, about half an hour, I guess. Yeah, about 30 minutes. We cover a ton of ground. Mm -hmm. I think I asked him 40 questions Mm -hmm. and uh, asked him every question we had on the list. We could have gone on longer. And then then Charles Adler joined us after to kind of review it all. And it was a a bit of a change of pace, a bit of a change of tone when Chuck joined us, uh, calling him a puppet master and the like. If if you missed the full episode, you know where to find it, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you, uh, you know, obviously, however you catch YouTube on your phone, at home, whatever. We always appreciate that. We got more emails on the Parker interview uh, than we've received on anything in a long time, and we're going to give you the floor, Real Talkers, in just a second, because that's how we do it. But I wanted to let you know that this episode is presented by our friends at Danatech. Uh, If you need safety training that actually makes a difference on your job site, Danatech has been the leader in Canadian safety training for more than 30 years. Their online blended and instructor-led training courses combine regulatory compliance with real-world smarts. That's important. You don't get that with all of these providers. Real-world smarts with Danatech and practical tips as well. And that means that it's coming from experts who actually understand and know how busy job sites work. If this is resonating with you, if this is exactly what you've been looking for, you can visit danatech.com today to check out their course catalog and start training your team the right way with Danatech. I don't want to sort of try to publicize private messages that you're getting. You don't have to say who it was from, but you were telling me you got a text message from a buddy just yesterday afternoon. Yeah. And it sounded to me like, kind of pretty general feedback I, I wondered if maybe the spirit of his comment w- would have been the spirit of thousands of people that would have heard the interview yesterday yeah well i think david came with with an agenda he came with a way he was gonna you know project himself on the show and and one of my friends just said you know it's weird because you know he didn't know how he felt about the talk back alberta guy obviously he came in with his opinions but uh he found himself a little uh, a little surprised that he agreed with some things he said but he he i think he what he was trying to get out was the tone of it was very laid back was very reserved was very and you know me and me me and you talked before we didn't know how the interview was gonna go i was expecting it to Could've be a little, off the rip i thought it would be a little more combative to be honest mm-hmm. uh but david was was fairly reserved i mean some of the stuff that he started talking about i, I noted that uh max fawcett you know max from the lead columnist at canada's national observer was mm-hmm. tuned in and we appreciate that. And during the interview, Max tweeted, he said something along the lines of, oh, boy. He says, I'm, I'm listening to Parker on Jespo. And like in the first five minutes, he's talking about communism and pedophilia. And that is true. I mean, he did go there early. Yeah, there was um, something like that thing, especially. I was like, nobody's promoting pedophilia. What it kind of swung about? off in an interesting direction. And then it kind of came back. And we started talking about his relationship with Daniel Smith, mm-hmm. uh, his relationship with former Premier Jason Kenney, and when that went sour, when David started working to to oust Kenny from office. Uh, we talked about his take on a, on a bunch of stuff, you know, pride and sex ed in schools and the wind and solar moratorium and Alberta's place in Canada and a whole bunch of stuff. He talked about pensions and the Alberta police force. And if you missed it, you really should check out the entire interview. But here's the point. You've been in touch with us, and we want to give you the floor now. We're going to go back and check the tape on a couple of things. Uh, in particular, Emily called me out for something, which which kind of troubled me, to be honest. And so I went back and had a listen again. Uh, it's not unusual for us to go back. Call called an air check, and we'll go back and listen to an interview again after we do it. Sometimes when you're in the mix, sometimes when you're doing the interview, it, things 
can happen around you or develop. Maybe you're thinking of a next question, you're, you're fact-checking something, or, and, and something might slide. And it has happened before, and it happens to any interviewer. Uh, and Emily's in particular. I, wanna, I better go back and have a listen on this, so we're going to do that in just a second. But Christy wrote in. Uh, we got this at 4.36 in the morning today, Johnny. Uh, she, she starts off and says, uh, Ryan, holy crap, okay, it's 4 in the morning, and this has been bothering me all night. Uh, Christy, I love this. We talk about an engaged audience. You're up at four in the morning typing this email. She says, I feel like I should preface this by saying I have minimal use for men like David Parker. I don't spend time around them. I don't have anything to say to them. I don't even normally have anything to say about them because frankly, I don't feed scavengers. Uh, they're impossible to get out of your yard once they find scraps in your bin. Uh, but I was struck by how disingenuous he was. And while I don't think that that's all unique to him, I think it's worth bringing up because he contorts himself into a myriad of shapes, uh, each more uncomfortable than the last, to try to make his message and his goals seem palatable and benign. Adler talked about that a bit. Uh, Christy says, one moment that really stood out for me was when you were talking about sex ed, and he, and he brought up that his stance is just as ideologically driven as the desire for more comprehensive sex ed in schools. She says, now I won't speculate as to whether he truly believes his views aren't ideologically driven or he was being deliberately dense because it doesn't matter the end result is is the same either way of course he's ideologically driven everybody is ideologically driven thank you christy i said it yesterday she says no matter where you stand on the political spectrum ideology isn't limited to people with whom you disagree and speaking of which you only need to spend about three seconds on mr parker's twitter to find that his talk about broader participation in political and civic life rings a touch hollow and off key he's obviously not interested in meaningful dialogue or cooperation with people of all political stripes it's like walking past a sewer drain in any major city in the summer everything looks fine on the surface but the smell hints that something rotten lurks beneath are you like tasting that in your mouth right now? She says that's that. a great analogy. There's one sewer kind of right by our house that's like that. Ever it's it's brutal. Uh, a guy built a huge infill. Christy, I promise I'll get back to your email. A guy built a huge. They knocked down an old bungalow, built a huge infill yeah. right by that one sewer, and I was like, I wonder if the new homeowner knows what they're getting into because that is just right <laughs> off their backyard. Anyway, Christy, I can taste it in my mouth. She says, and you don't need anyone but David Parker himself to prove this. Watch just for a few minutes how he talks about and treats people who disagree with him. You know, people in groups he perceives as his opponents. Watch how he responds when he's criticized. Even what he said about Charles Adler yesterday. Uh, he tweeted about Adler after the show and called him a sad, oh, his, his sad ex, little man, he called him. His ex-bio is about Adler now. Yeah. Or that, Napoleon. Right? Yeah, his Twitter bio. Uh, yeah, that's right. He, yeah, but referring to what... He, he, his Twitter bio now quotes what Adler said about him on Real Talk. Yes. So that's always a feather in our cap. Christy says, I'm sure Charles is heartbroken, by the way. Yeah, no one's ever insulted Adler before. I, I wonder if he'll be okay. Uh, Christy says, trust me, you don't need to scroll far. Parker's telling us who he is, loud and proud, and we should show him the courtesy of believing him. Uh, Marie says, uh, Jespo, thanks for interviewing Parker. It's important for people to see who he really is and just how scary his Take Back Alberta group is. So it's important to have guests like this. Marie says, I'm a bit of a history buff, and I feel like we're getting back to the, the era of McCarthyism. You know, David Parker and, and, and Joseph McCarthy could be one and the same. If you're left thinking or a progressive thinker and don't agree with Parker, then, you know, then you're inhuman, according to him. You know, when will they start blackballing anyone that's in a union or anyone that's supportive of innovation or up and coming research on energy and climate and renewables or anything else coming our way? 
Marie says, I urge your listeners to research that McCarthy era. It was wild in the States, everyone being painted as communists. And anyway, and just how destructive it was to American society. Do we really want to go down that path? Marie says, Republicans in the U.S. are, are leading that country down that path. And just look at January 6th to see how volatile things can become. I don't want my Canada looking the same. Now, Trudeau certainly is not perfect, but he scares me a whole lot less than any of the current so-called conservatives. I grew up conservative in a conservative family. I feel like every story starts like that in Alberta. But these people aren't my people and don't reflect my values. And they're not libertarians either. They're looking more like fascists, more than we've seen in a long time. And if we don't study history and if we don't pay attention, if we don't become smart about these things, then we're doomed to repeat history and not the good parts. Thanks for bringing these guests into focus for those of us that don't choose to keep up on these things. It's important. Hopefully people will take a closer look at the Parkers out there and come to a full stop on giving them any support at all. That's Marie's position on this. Here's the one from Emily that jumped out at me. She says, Ryan, I, I listened to your show this morning, and while I agree with Charles Adler that it's important to allow these folks to expose their own strategies, like you know, putting their own people in school board spots, we asked him about that. Emily says, I also agree with him that the moderate tone uh, that he was allowed to take on your show, which, I, anyway, uh, is a boon for his message. Yeah, there were a few times you challenged him with, like, the you-can't-be-serious rebuttal, but you allowed him to spout off every talking point he wanted without so much as a roadblock. That's on purpose, Emily. Uh, she says, the thing is, we all know what David Parker's going to say before he says it. He posts everything he believes on Twitter. Th their website is right there. And most importantly, he takes all his cues from Fox News. Uh, that was clear when he started talking about how hundreds of thousands of people don't trust voting machines. Um, you could have had a stack of evidence against his points ready to go before he even got on the show. Instead, you never even asked him to back up his own points or provide any sort of justification. Emily says, but really, my main concern is that people in your position, um, particularly those who consider themselves left of center, which I don't, she says, seem to be physically incapable of saying that's a lie. Like, what's that all about, says Emily? You asked him, here's the thing. Here's the one that jumped out at me. And here's the one that troubled me. And here's what prompted me to go back and re-listen to the interview. She says, you asked him about queer folks and he made a connection with pedophiles that you did not counter at all. All you said was, I don't think anybody on the political spectrum likes pedophiles. And it's baffling to me that you would let such an inflammatory statement slide and treat everything else with such credulity. I'm going to get to the rest of Emily's email in a second, but this jumped out at me because I was sitting there in the quiet of my office and I read it twice and I went, David Parker drew a line on real talk between queer people and pedophiles and I didn't respond. It just doesn't sound like me. And we were talking to him about that. Well, pedophiles came up in the first five minutes and I didn't remember the comment. And I thought that can't be true. And if it is, Johnny and I are going to record an update in the middle of the afternoon and post it because I owe my sister and my cousin and my uncle and a whole bunch of other people an apology if that's true, you know? Because this is one of the, the things that the, the LGBTQ2S plus community has been combating for years, this, this premise based on absolutely zero evidence that, that, you know, one lazy example is that gay men, you know, basically essentially are pedophiles or that a disproportionate number of gay men are pedophiles which is not true at all. 
You can draw much more direct lines between, I don't know, priests, pastors. But I'm not trying to pick a fight with everybody today. So I wanted to go back to the tape. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to play, like I'm not going to play five seconds or 10 seconds. We're going to play a clip. And then I'm going to let you know my observation from that clip. And then I want to play the second one. Because pedophiles come up before we talk about the queer community. And at no point does Parker make that point, And at no point do I let it slide. But I want to pay very serious and close attention to this, Emily. As I told you in my personal response to you back, I take that comment extremely seriously. So here's how Parker opens. I ask him how he believes that he's, you know, he's, he's very critical of mainstream media, as, as most sort of, you know, right-wing conservatives are these days. It plays very well. Right? Doug Ford, Pierre Polyev, look at them. Ford's had his own TV station on the campaign trail, his own news service, right? Polyev famously denies most interview requests from any sort of known media entity, minus his friends. Anyway, here's how it all started. How would you describe how the media is painting you? Oh, I mean, they, they need a boogeyman. They need someone to tie to Danielle Smith to claim that she's being influenced by far-right extremists. And anyone who's, you know, right of center at this point is a far-right extremist. I mean, they're saying that being opposed to pedophilia is now far-right extremism. And I think uh, we're seeing that all over the place where uh, the, the sides keep diverging. We're seeing a huge polarization of our politics. And I actually believe that the reason for that is because hardly anyone's participating in our politics. And that's why I started to take back Alberta. What do you mean opposed to pedophilia? Do you see people supporting pedophilia somewhere that's prompted you to speak out? Well, uh, there's a movement towards calling them minor attracted persons. And this movement is growing around the world. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in America. And I just think it's completely unacceptable that anyone would be treating a child as a sexual object. So I'm obviously very opposed to that. I do not think children are sexual beings. I believe that they are children and they should be treated like children. And we should uh, understand that they don't have the mental capacity to really deal with the complexity of these kind of sexual problems and we need to protect them from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't say we talk politics every single day on this show. I can't say that, I, that I've ever interviewed or spoken with anybody that would disagree uh, with the assertion that children aren't sexual objects. I mean, are you saying that you see that in, in the orbit of Alberta politics? I wouldn't say necessarily in Alberta politics, although I think the sexualization of our children is a, a real problem that needs to be addressed. Um, I agree. I don't think most people at this point would admit to that being something that they were uh, interested in, even if they were interested in it. But we know that it is a huge problem. We've seen uh, movies like The Sound of Freedom. Human trafficking used to be something that progressives on the left are very concerned about. Now, all over the media, we're seeing, you just go and Google it. Uh, a movie comes out, a very, you know, good movie, clean movie, uh, comes out addressing human trafficking, and it's called right-wing extremism, right? So that's just the nature of the world we live in right now. The left is slowly crumbling. They don't have a coherent philosophy. So as they crumble, there's going to be, you know, their death spiral and they're going to lash out at people and claim that people are extremists. That's fine. Okay. So there he is talking about pedophiles, right? There, there was no mention of the queer community there at all. Uh, he talks about this minor attracted persons. You, you, you can Google it. You can read it. It's, it's basically like people trying to rebrand pedophiles. Um, so then the conversation goes on. And a few minutes later, in the conversation, after a couple of other questions in between, I ask him this. 
How do you feel personally about pride? Um, I don't have a problem with adults doing whatever adults want to do. Um, I obviously support Danielle Smith. She is very pro-LGBT rights. Um, what I would say, though, is I do not believe that our children should be taught about sex in elementary school. I do not believe that uh, it is a duty or the right or the role of a teacher, of a public school teacher, a private school teacher, any teacher, to teach children about sex. That is the role of parents. And I think parents are the primary uh, guardian of their children. They should be the guardian of their children, and they should be the guardian of what is going into those children's minds. So do you think that sex ed should be taken, should be removed from school curriculum? Definitely from elementary school, 100%. High school is different, but we should not be teaching children about sex in elementary school. What, what about things like, you know, practical applications, helping kids understand their body, helping kids understand boundaries, early stage understandings of consent? In other words, when your swimming teacher touches you here, it's inappropriate. I mean, do you support that in elementary school? Oh, yeah. If it was only technical, I would 100% support it, but that's not what's happening. What's happening is children are, are being... Uh, taught whatever the particular ideology of the teacher might be. And there is curriculum being pushed more and more onto our children that is uh, ideological in nature. It's it's not doing what you're describing. I support what you're describing. What I do not support is indoctrinating elementary school children into this, uh, well, frankly, this sexual ideology that seems to be infiltrating a lot of our Uh, schools, and even, I would say, our society in general. Okay, so there you have it. Those are the full clips, back-to-back, in chronological order in the interview. Uh, He makes absolutely no connection uh, between the queer community and pedophilia. Had he, and had I let it slide, I would be staring right into the camera with a direct apology to people very close to me. Believe me there. Emily goes on to say, Ryan, I understand you're not a shock jock per se, but if you take the request from people like this to have them on your show, then you need to understand you have a major responsibility platforming people. There it is without actively calling out their bullshit is deeply, deeply irresponsible. It's not enough to say, well, most people don't agree with you there. These people are lying. Just say so that from Emily. Thanks for the feedback, Emily. I appreciate it. We take all feedback into consideration. I will say that a lot of our loudest critics, the show's loudest critics, have a very different understanding of what platforming is than the rest of us. And if you think that the smartest, I mean, we had people criticize us for, quote, platforming Premier Danielle Smith by having her on the show. I would humbly suggest that you don't understand what platforming is if you think that interviewing the elected premier of a province on a talk show that discusses news politics and pop culture is inappropriate or irresponsible you just don't get it and like it or not david parker is very relevant in alberta politics today like it or not and i know the way that i'm wired and i think i know the way that the majority of our audience is wired And that's an audience that would prefer to know a lot more about somebody than a lot less when that person is controlling constituency associations vis-a-vis political candidates working to organize. And this guy's a hell of an organizer, like it or not, school board positions, electing trustees in the year of the premier. You don't want to hear what this guy's all about. You don't want to hear him take direct questions about a million things under the sun. I'm sure that there are more gentle and easy listening talk shows for you. Deborah says, I watched the interview today. 
Deborah says the problem is that Mr. Parker made a lot of sense. People are apathetic and there's little incentive to motivate them. This is the one I tweeted about yesterday, by the way, Deborah. This came in an hour after we signed off. Deborah says people believe that they have no voice and they feel that they have no ability to influence decision making from a municipal, provincial or federal level. I know that school councils struggle to find parents and would welcome anybody who shows an interest. She says, I've spent much of my adult life volunteering in schools, volunteering in organizations that supported community support services, youth services. She says, I feel the apathy. People feel they have no voice, yet they don't make any effort to get involved. So for anybody who doesn't believe in Take Back Alberta, they need to get off their asses and get involved in grassroots organizations that support their views. You know, the issue is that David Parker has united a group of people who have a common vision. And what vision do the rest of people have for Alberta? Like, do we have a common vision that the rest of us care about? And if so, how do we rally together? Deborah says, I voted NDP in the last provincial election. Uh, she's emailing in from Calgary, by the way. She says, I, li- I like the leader of the Alberta party. She's talking about Barry Morishita, a good friend of this show. She says, but I need to see more from them before I support them. <laughs> you and four million others, Deborah. She says, people need to figure out how they need to be involved. They need to stop just staring at their feet and figure out what kind of a province we want to live in. I'm glad I watched this interview, and I sure appreciated the discussion after. Thanks. That from Deborah. Thanks, Deb. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can always, of course, hit us up on social as well. You'll find us on Instagram, TikTok. Bit of a cheeky post yesterday on TikTok from Johnny. I love that one. I thought you nailed that one. And, of course, you'll find us on Twitter, too. Yeah, it was a pretty good one. But as you're talking about this, probably the only thing I agreed with David yesterday, people don't care about politics anymore. People aren't tuned in. People are tuned out. And the reason you have to hear people like David is because they're getting a following in this province, and it's scary. And if you want to pretend he doesn't exist and shove him under the rug and, and, and watch those videos of him but not hear him answer clear, concise questions, then you're one of those people who's tuned out. I was one of those people before I started on this show. There's a lot of scary things going on in this province, in this country, in the world. And you remember how we had to they have, need to be out of the shadows. We had to have a little team meeting after you'd been here for like three months. Do you remember this? <laughs> and, and I said, hey, I, I invited you to stop saying one thing. You used to preface all your comments. You know I don't know anything about politics. You used to go, no, I don't know anything about politics. <laughs> and I said, will you please stop saying that? But that's Because number thing. one, your gut instinct is strong, but you are the everyman. Mm. You're a person who's empathetic. And intelligent, you're observant of what's around you. You're the type of person we need engaged in these conversations. Well, we need everyone engaged these days. But maybe, maybe I'm someone who also is quick to, you know, go off my emotions or whatever. But even yesterday, I'm watching him and I'm like, he's clear, he's calm, but still what he's saying is is it's pretty it's pretty out there. And and even the way I, I know you were showing how the questions, but even the proximity to what he was talking about with the LGBTQ plus community and sex ed in schools and pedophilia. He's very good at weaving that all together, even if it's not right next to each other. So I can see how people sure. are. I mean, this is, and this is when people talk about dog whistles, right? Of like course. they'll say they, they mentioned this and then they mentioned this mm-hmm. and then they message this and then they're signaling to their base. And this is what they're saying 100%. without saying it. Uh, Erica on our live chat. Good to see you there. Erica says it's amazing uh, how many people were outraged yesterday that Jespa would even interview Parker. We need to know what these groups are planning and doing and thinking so we can be ready for it. You know, 
Uh, Cameron says David Parker talked in generalities. Uh, it's an invisible enemy. He used words like they are people. They remember when I asked him yesterday, I said, David, who are they? Uh, he says no reference to anybody in particular, just general BS. Uh, Plain power says stop beating yourself up, Ryan. I'm not, buddy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you can let us know what you think. Um, you know, this is a story that obviously could go on for a while. You, you know, just because you've, you've missed sending us an email on day one doesn't uh, mean that you can't submit, for example, maybe a, a trash talk uh, coming up on Thursday. That's going to be Thursday of this week. Um, we're going to be working Friday elsewhere. So our final episode of this week will be on a Thursday. Alyssa out of Calgary, always appreciate her perspective, says, I think expecting the general public to understand the nuance of these types of guests is what's dangerous. Uh, putting David Parker front and center will only inflame the radicalized. Interesting comment from Alyssa there. I noticed an exchange between uh, Kristen Rayworth, who I have a huge amount of respect for. She's been on this show before. And Chris Labossier, who's a great friend of this show. Uh, Kristen tweeted yesterday, I'm watching this Parker interview on, on Real Talk, and I am screaming, she says, in all caps, uh, because he's already claimed that pedophilia is being normalized. That was in like the first four minutes. And that the left doesn't care about human trafficking. This person is just lying and saying nonsense. And Kristen says, I don't understand platforming him. Labossier says, I'm thankful that Ryan got the interview. Parker's been an urban legend and an enigma among the chattering classes here on Twitter. Chris is right about that. He says, I, I trust Albertans to figure out their positions after seeing that interview. But Take Back Alberta has massive sway in the province right now. And most people don't know that not from chris let us know what you think uh we're going to get to other news of the day a remarkable uh occurrence like obviously people were freaking out and for good reason reports of an active shooter uh in our home city of edmonton last night at west edmonton mall plus paul mclaughlin coming up uh, in just a few minutes the president of rural municipalities of alberta says it's a good thing that alberta is hitting pause on wind and solar before we go any further i want to tell you about uh, an exciting film festival that's coming up in just a short while, the India Film Festival of Alberta kicks off its ninth edition in Edmonton on September 1st through 3rd. So on Friday, September 1st, the India Film Festival of Alberta kicks off its month-long nationwide celebration of Indian cinema at the storied Metro Cinema in Edmonton. Uh, this is presented by the Edmonton Movie Club. It's grown from a small local festival to a national event. Three days of screenings in Edmonton to open before it moves on to Calgary, for the next weekend, September 8th through 10th, in Edmonton, you'll see 10 different films showcasing the diverse cinema of India. This is uh, India's film industry, enormous around the world. Uh, and you'll see works from established master filmmakers all the way through to first-time directors from all four corners of India. And here's the cool thing. The 10 films will feature as many as 10 different Indian languages. One of the major highlights of the Edmonton edition is the participation of renowned Indian filmmakers. And then once they move on to Calgary, eight more films, seven of them will be shown at the historic Plaza Theater. This is the first time that the India Film Festival of Alberta is going to touch down at the Plaza. And don't forget, opening night in Calgary, that's September 8th. For our Calgary audience members, very special with a brand new 4K restoration of the classic film, Dawn. You can view the entire festival program and purchase tickets to all films right now at indiafilmfestival.ca. Wanted to let you know if you're so frustrated right now, I'm going to speak right to you. I'm going to give you a little peek into what my history used to look like. If your socks are mixed up with your underwear and underneath them is the cufflinks, but they're not together, you can't find your watch. 
You haven't known where your favorite tie is for three months. Your t-shirts are mixed in with the long sleeve shirts. Oh, you left the dress shirt on the floor again because there was nowhere good to hang it. And, and, and let's not even get started on the home office setup. Sounds to me like you need a free design consultation with California Closets. They're the best in the business at what they do. Custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. We trusted them with our project and the difference they made. I don't even have the words and that's saying something. I also wanted to give a bit of a shout out for those of you that are tripping over your extension cords, your spare tires, maybe it's your summer tires or your winter tires for your car. You don't even know where your bike pump is and you've lost your ice skates. You're not worrying about it now, but when the ODR freezes, you're going to want to know where they are. Why not get your garage done? California Closets has so many great ideas where projects begin and come to fruition. Versatile storage options, cabinets, track wall systems, everything personalized and integrated to maximize efficiency and your sense of personal satisfaction in a job well done. You can find them online at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want you to know that they've got some August specials they want you to take a look at, but they're not going to last forever. Obviously, you've got till the end of the month to save 14 bucks off their Turkey Raw Pet Food 40-pound boxes. You're going to want to use the discount code AUGUST2023 at checkout. This is a blend for dogs and cats. Uh, using whole Alberta-raised turkey, the organs, the bone as well, the meat sourced from human-grade facilities, so this is the best you can get. There are a ton of great reasons, nutritionally and otherwise, to feed your dog or cat raw food, and you can learn more about it, including great extracts like the lion's mane mushroom extract. That's what we're giving our dog, Monroe. It's helping her with her anxiety. It's also great for senior dogs and overweight dogs. You can read about it in the shop now and the blog links on their website. That's granddog.ca. Alyssa Berry in the chat saying, I don't follow politics is privilege personified just want to say that that's a great I, comment. I did follow it before i just didn't understand it at all yeah but I mean, once you know the players the game starts to come into focus and that's when things really start to matter to yeah, you. yeah to, to, just because i know Alyssa personally uh, let me also say I oh no i hang on let, let me just say i don't follow politics can also be i'm a single dad that's working 14 hours a day busting my ass to get to my kid's soccer game and don't have time to follow fucking politics that can also be that and i'm sure listen i would laugh over that over great a beer. contributor to the chat by yeah the way, she Alyssa. sure is amazing and we love people that bring the passion and listen if you and i are pals and you think i'm an idiot for bringing david parker on the show that's fine i mean some of you can't stand me and you think it's great that parker was on the show that's okay too We've said it, I think, almost every show we've done. We don't gather here. We don't congregate as friends and it feels like family to agree on everything. That's not the point. But we named the show Real Talk on purpose, and we're going to tackle real issues. And sometimes that's going to make people uncomfortable, and that's perfectly fine. I hope that by reading the emails, you know, and we've made it very clear that we're not afraid to be called out. We appreciate you holding our feet to the fire. We appreciate your fact checks. Some of them happen in real time on the live chat. Some of them happen later, you know, with, with emails or texts. And oftentimes we will bring those voices, if they're credible, in their industry or if there's context that makes it a Appropriate, we'll bring the fact checkers on the show. We want you to have confidence that if you make real talk a part of your daily or weekly routine, and we're grateful for that, 
that quite frankly, and we don't stamp this on t-shirts because it comes across the wrong way, but you're going to be the smartest person in the room. That's what we want you to feel like. You're, you're going to have a more fulsome and deep understanding of the issues because you participate in those courageous conversations. Is Paul ready to rock right now? He is. Let's go. So here's an exact example of what we're talking about. At first glance, when I see that the Alberta government is pressing pause on new wind and solar projects above a certain size, there's a bunch of asterisks in small print, but basically the government of Alberta is pressing pause on wind and solar. Now, the real critics say they're just doing this to appease their rural base. Uh, somebody yesterday, I think it was Charles Adler on the show, actually said they're, they're doing this for people like David Parker. Others have said, no, 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 no. They're doing it because of legitimate concerns about, you know, farmland being used for solar farms. They're using it because people are concerned about the view uh, being impacted by the big uh, wind turbines. All of a sudden, everybody's saying wind turbines as tall as the Calgary Tower. <laughs> I kind of feel good for the Cal No one's used the Calgary Tower as a measuring stick for a long time. And I feel really good that that pride of Calgary built back in the 1960s is now being recognized again. But in all seriousness, there are people that believe the government's making the right move. And I want to hear that perspective. I'm sure you do, too. Paul McLaughlin's a professional biologist. Uh, he's been an environmental scientist and a consultant for more than a quarter century. Uh, he's served on Pinoca County Council for uh, four terms, and he's currently the Reeve of Pinoca County, and he is the president of the Rural Municipalities of Alberta. And, Paul, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to the show. It's nice to see your face. How you been holding up? I, you know what? You thought this be a quiet summer, Ryan. It's, it's not a quiet summer, man. This is a tough summer. Yeah, how come? Take us into it. You know, I, I get the privilege of this job, and it's pretty fascinating. I represent 69 municipalities in the province, 85% of the land base. And I get to road tour. I mean, if you can imagine, just probably one of the best parts of the job. So I've been from border to border to border to border. I've driven through communities that have been burnt out. Uh, I saw a terrible drought down in the, the good folks down in, in MDA Ranchlands. Um, you know, this has been a tough summer for Albertans. And at the same time, I've seen an incredible sense of community right across this province. Our first responders and our communities taking care of one another. But uh, this has been a tough show. We were talking about that yesterday off off the air and just like how uh, our hearts are in our throats like everybody else with Kelowna and what's going on there, not to mention Yellowknife. And, and then you mentioned, I mean, if you look at a map of Western Canada right now, there's fires everywhere. But what do you see people doing that's jumping up to help right away? People don't ask a lot of questions before they do whatever they can uh, to help their neighbors. I think for a long time, like if you're going to speak in generalities, not to say that folks that live in cities don't care about one another, but that, that's kind of in the rural way, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You think that uh, people live rurally because they don't like people. They like being isolated. But I'll tell you, the sense of community that comes together, uh, you, you know, you talk about some of the fires in, in, in Yellowhead County, for example. Uh, the egg service boards mobilize so fast to start moving livestock and finding other locations. Just the outpouring of, of uh, people actually putting their energy and time and putting space uh, has been incredible. The donations uh, just that sense of community and, and literally people wanting to, to help one another and mobilizing people. It, you know, I think we're all like that. I think Albertans are that way. I think we always make the rural urban conversation, but, uh, Albertans, when it push comes to shove, we do take care of one another. And we've always been that way. We're a compassionate bunch of folks. Okay. So I'm imagining, I'm going to pitch a hypothetical at you. You and me are both at a neighbor's backyard barbecue and, uh, we're having a beer. Um, uh, and, uh, I was going to say around the fire, but maybe that would be tone deaf. We'll just say we're having a beer around the bocce ball. And, uh, um, and I'm going to say, have you guys heard about this boneheaded decision for the Alberta government to press pause on wind and solar? And you're going to say, 
Hang on a second, Jespo. Hang on a second. Take me into your perspective on this moratorium. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I think you talked a little bit about my my, uh, my, my life history or resume. And, and, and I, I will say that my wife and I actually, our office is net positive. I got solar wind on my farm. I've been working in, in the renewable industry. And, uh, and, and you know what? I saw some criticism uh, the last few days. Uh, I'll tell you right now, folks, you want to make 10% return, slap solar panels on your house. Uh, not only is it environmental, it, it's, it's a great investment opportunity for folks, but also, and I can, you know, you see in, in, your, in your photos there, we have some key land use decisions to make tied to these. I think that this is an opportunity to replace assessment uh, to keep that family farm going. And I think that, but what we do got to realize that where these are actually going is actually in some cases on prime farmland. And, and that's literally happening right now. And some of those projects that are in the queue potentially actually are going on areas that have uh, pivots and they're removing pivots to put solar panels on. I bring that up because 16 municipalities right now have declared agricultural disasters. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to go closer to 30. And food security is, is a critical conversation we need to have. We need to talk about climate change resiliency. Uh, we need to talk about resiliency of the landscape. And in a hotter, drier future, we're going to need more arable land, not less. And, and I think specifically some of these projects, Ryan, eight square kilometers, these are industrial projects. These aren't you know, solar panels on the side of a barn. This is covering eight square kilometers of farmland. Uh, my understanding was, and you're going to know way more about this than I do, so I, I'll appreciate some clarification. Uh, my understanding is that uh, during Notley's tenure as premier, they introduced some legislation that would require uh, renewable infrastructure to, to sort of adhere to the same expectations uh, in the context of remediation that standard or traditional oil and gas would. Have you seen that implemented? Like, what's the reality on the ground? Well, I think people have been, they've been comparing the, uh, the non-renewable industry to renewable industry. And, and this is an industry that isn't as regulated as oil and gas. Uh, the rules, it's not, the rules really aren't in place as it relates, relates to reclamation. Um, and I know folks are, are saying, well, these are quite a bit different, but, but, but it's really not. It's a conversation around future liabilities. Uh, my solar panels are 16 years old, Ryan. I think I have 15 of them. I can replace those solar panels right now to produce the same amount of power with four solar panels. So this technology is always changing. And I hear comments around reinvestment. Um, but I've talked to a gentleman the other day that he's on his fifth company as old his solar installation. The fifth company. So literally he's got an agreement with one company and he's on the fifth company right now. Um, who's going to own that future liability? Imagine you're moving this around. And we, we've, we've lived the dream. Uh, I ride my horses by abandoned wells uh, close to my farm. My neighbors haven't been paid for 10 years for a well battery on their place. Um, I think the strong conversation we need to have about oil and gas is the same conversation about renewables. I, I think that we shouldn't give uh, renewables any different treatment. Again, this is a fabulous opportunity. It's a game changer in many ways. Um, and I will say, and I, I think you're going to find it fascinating coming from our rural municipal leader, uh, the Notley government's uh, move on wind was probably the most momentous renewable decision ever made. Having three cents uh, kilowatt hour uh, wind power is a game changer. And we have to commend the Notley government for, for the efforts they made as it relates to the wind power and the opportunities that those have provided. Uh, in our live chat, Justin says, come on. He says, please give me a single example of a family farm or of prime farmland being shut down or kicked off the land in favor of a renewable project. Have you seen anything like that, Paul? Oh, actually, well, it, it's the opposite. So th this isn't actually expropriation. This isn't kicked off. 
Um, what we do as municipal leaders, um, you know, the illusion isn't you can't do whatever you want on your land. Um, I've had the joy of, 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 I'm actually on my fifth term as a municipal leader, and, and our job is actually making land use decisions. So you can't do whatever you want on your land. It actually have, you have municipal government authority. And if you're actually subdividing your land, you can't do it on your own. You can't create a campground on your land without municipal authority. And so these are decisions that are being made on a regular basis. The problem with the renewable industry is that under rule section 619 of the Municipal Government Act, we're actually not part of that land use decision making. And in fact, I'll be quite blunt, it's actually ignored in the siting of, of renewables. Um, we've tried to intercede and ultimately this uh, MGA rule 619 says that the provincial government has the authority. And so you have industrial activities on rural lands, not respecting the municipal government authority, not making those core land use decisions. And although individuals are saying they wish to have renewables on their land, you're not having that public discourse you're not having that long-term strategic land use planning conversation. And, and rest assured, I turn down projects on a regular basis, as do my colleagues, that would be taking farmland out of production. Again, in a hotter, drier future, we need more arable on land, not less. And this is not to say no to renewables. There's going to be discretionary choices made on a case-by-case -case basis. But it's that context of whether or not you're having that conversation or what are the alternative uses? Is the best use of the land uh, this type of project? And also moving, moving the bar a little forward and talking about agrivoltaics, spacing, less density, more distribution, not having these as mega, mega, mega renewable projects, but looking for other ways to, to distribute this power and provide more opportunities. Now, the one thing about the comment is this is a, individuals are signing up for these agreements. And, and I will say that, uh, um, a lot of folks have treated this as buyer beware, and we're better than that because um, because I'll, I'll make an amalgam scenario for you. So uh, Bill and Sally, they have their farm and, and to keep the family farm, which is a, this is a true opportunity. If I sign up to a renewable, I get a thousand dollars an acre. That's about one hundred sixty thousand dollars on a quarter section. That is some serious, serious money. Um, it's be very hard to produce a crop that would provide you that. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity for this family. This could have the this could be a tractor, this could be more land, this could be transition, but hold it back a minute and let's fast forward 12 years. You're on your fifth company. We don't even know who owns it anymore. It's actually been bought by a hedge fund in New York, which by the way is happening. Um, and and we, you're not even sure who owns it anymore. You're getting around year 12, uh, other forms of power and ubiquitous solar is on. Everybody's house is solar and everybody in the city of Calgary and Edmonton have solar on their roof. And that Where's that company? And they quit paying their rent, for example. And then guess who's caught holding the bag? It's the landowners. And at the end of the day, those landowners could be held responsible for the reclamation and restoration of that land back to agricultural productivity. And not for any fault of their own, other than the fact that we don't have the rules in place to protect the farmland and to protect the individuals. But Paul, it's, I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly describing orphan wells, right? Like exactly. Right. It, it, the landowner thinks it makes sense to have that. I mean, and, and in some circumstances, I have a surface level, no pun intended, understanding of how this works. But but a lot of times oil and gas uh, sort of 
is able to get, gain access to where it needs to go, uh, whether the landowner likes it or not. But the point is, it's supposed to benefit the landowner. It doesn't always, and they're left holding the bag. And a lot of these, we understand how this goes, and, and we're understanding more, I think in part because of interviews that we're doing on this show, the general public's starting to understand it more. So this is not to say that the circumstance that you've just described isn't a problem. It sounds to me like it's a very real problem and one that we should pay attention to. But how come no call for a moratorium on oil and gas until we get that mess figured out, but a call for a moratorium on wind and solar? Well, and I think that the, you got to love energy preservation. I've got an automatic system here. Um, <laughs> always we'll saving, let the podcast saving. listeners know your lights just went off in the middle of Yeah, they, they, they went off because uh, I'm into green energy. Yeah, obviously. that's right. There you the, go. Uh, the the you're totally right and and i i think that the the conversation moratorium is such a horrible word because because really what this is is a pause and decision because uh and this is and i'm just guessing but the projects that are in the queue likely with some key policy changes the projects in the queue uh may have some conditions placed on them that would be quite complex and so i think that the pause moratorium doesn't mean that the the market's closed and by no means i think it will be um as it relates to 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 uh, Orphan Wells, yeah, I want to have this conversation. And you know what? I, I got to say one thing. I appreciate your show because this dialogue is quite important. So let's let's talk about Orphan Wells. I'm, I know I'm taking a little bit of rabbit hole. But let's let's have that conversation. So uh, so I'm going to be super generous, and I'm going to use 18 billion dollars. That's the AR liability for for oil and gas in Orphan Wells in the province of Alberta. So I'm going to be generous. It's actually 90 billion. You know what? It's actually 210 billion. But let's let's. I'm going to be a good boy, and I'm going to say 18 18 billion dollars. This is past liabilities for conventional oil and gas. I'm not talking about oil sands. Um, right now, with with the increase in payment, about 800 million dollar reduction is being spent, or 800 million dollars spent is on reducing those those liabilities, those environmental liabilities. Um, it's going to take about 18 to 20 years just to clean up what's done in the past, and that's with my generous numbers. We need to escalate the the the, the orphan well, removing orphan wells. We also need to escalate the reduction of liabilities on the landscape. And I think this is a critically important conversation. And I appreciate that, although uh, a lot of folks are saying it's not fair to the renewable industry, we need to talk about lands, land use, and we need to have this conversation to ensure that we're, we're making sure that we're not straddling the future with liabilities. Yeah. Um, in many ways, renewables definitely uh, are a lot more innocuous than an oil and gas facility. But, but I would say that the removal of screw piles on eight square kilometers is not a simple thing. And, and removing a concrete pad that's about the size of your building is not a simple thing. It's a very complex conversation. And I think that the, the moratorium, um, I, I think, uh, again, a misnomer for really what it is, but it's ensuring that these policy pieces come together and uh, make some certainty for the industry, certainty for the landowner. And uh, we should be open for business because... Uh, this is a game changer for most of rural Albertans and for Alberta in general. Yeah, I, I mean, and and we're talking about like, you know, pe people are, are, are forecasting or, or speculating that this moratorium and whatever you want, whatever word you want to use, you know, the Alberta pressing pause on this could could cost thousands of jobs and uh, billions of dollars in investment. And and while it's not necessarily stopping projects that were already underway, I think that the general public can also put two and two together and recognize that it sends a, a dangerous message. Uh, or at least a message of instability to international investors. Uh, Paul, as, 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 as one that, you know, I mean, as, as in your position as, you know, yeah, sure, you're looking after folks in your own backyard, but also as president of the RMA, um, you have, you know, constituents and members, uh, municipalities across the province. 
what are you looking for uh, over the next six to seven months that, that, that would lead you to believe that it was a productive exercise, that it was worth it? What needs to happen? Well, and I think it's that, it, and I don't think it's going to need to be rule-based, but it's that core question of that, is this project the best use of the land? That's the one piece that we're looking for. Having that public dis- decision, uh, public discourse on that choice, uh, having the insurance of, of uh, reclamation and, and, and ensuring that you have uh, bonds in place or other tools. Uh, in the United States, on the Bureau of Land Management, actually uh, requires, <laughs> requires actually uh, $10,000 an acre as a reclamation bond. So the Americans have lived this dream. Um, we've actually been pretty lenient on it. And, and the AUC's actually had to hold my beer. Oh, they'll, don't worry about it. They'll take care of it. Uh, and as you said, our experience with Oracle Wells is that, that uh, I don't really trust the future. I trust the person today and, and not the person in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I, and I, at the same time, I think that I want to create certainty for the industry. I want them to say, you know what? Um, let's, let's make sure we're putting these on the right lands, using the right choices. Uh, we need to have certainty for the individuals uh, and certainties for the neighbors. Again, these are industrial projects. Imagine, and again, let's go back to your, your uh, we're not sitting around the fire, we're sitting around the barbecue and, yeah. and talking about the good old days we could sit around a fire. The smoker. Um, yeah, smoker. We're sitting around the smoker and, uh, and we got a brisket on there and we're rocking the brisket. And, and I think that uh, the, the important conversation to really have tied to this is that, that uh, we need to make sure that we're not saying no. This isn't nimbyism. Um, we need to, this is an opportunity. Vulcan County has replaced 40% of their tax base, tax assessment. A lot of the folks in, in the eastern part of the province have these old legacy fields. This is a game changer, not just for agriculture, but for municipalities. And, and we want to know that this, this resource in Alberta, and you probably heard it on your show, but we literally have the best solar resource and, and in most cases, the best wind resource in the world. We literally have, we're sitting on a gold mine and we need to do this right. And, and I think that this pause is going to actually create that, that decades-long clarity uh, for, for investors, decades-long clarity for my, the municipal folks I represent. And I think that uh, we can actually move forward on this and, and literally get to about 50% of our power could be, could be generated by renewables in a very short order. Eileen sent us this email like five minutes before you and I started talking. She says, uh, I've got a question uh, to put in front of Paul. If the rural municipalities are concerned about solar being placed on good farmland, then are they suggesting that landowners cannot decide how they want to use their own land? She says, is the suggestion that retired farmers only have one option, and that is to rent to another farmer for considerably less money than may be received for a solar installation, like you just talked about. She says, if a farmer doesn't want to buy the land at market value from the retiree, then that retired farmer is basically being held hostage. All a farmer really has is his dirt. And when that's all said and done, to take away control over that dirt is profoundly wrong on many levels. What would you say to Eileen? Well, and I think Eileen brings up the, the dialogue that we need to have publicly, and it's the rights of the individual, rights of the landowner. And, and I think that at the same time, it's also rights to community, and it's also, uh, you know, the rights of, of, of the entire province as a whole. Um, good agricultural land uh, should be protected as best possible with an understanding that there, there should be discretionary choices made on those land. Uh, I think that what's also happened, Ryan, at $1,000 an acre, we've actually got land price distortion going on that land is worth quite a bit more as as a solar installation as opposed to for farming um we're dealing with some production issues right now with the drought and and i think that uh, anybody that in, in an agricultural community knowing that land uh, would be not actually in agricultural production that's producing in the past 
they're concerned about that too. So it's that balancing act, and and I respect it. Again, this is this is a landowner's opportunity, but I uh, also it's a landowner's choice to try to subdivide. And I turn down subdivisions on high quality farmland on a regular basis. And trust me, I hear that at the feed store. There's people in my community that will hate me for my entire existence uh, because they wanted to have that subdivision. But I had to turn it down because the best interest and that public interest test is really what we're asking for. Um, what should this land be used for? And I know this is personal choice, but um, we need productive agricultural land. We're losing on a regular basis due to urban sprawl. Um, we as municipal leaders have to make those decisions and we need to have that context for our decisions going forward. Um, half this province was on fire this year. Um, I think we're gonna have to get used to this and it's changing significantly. And I think we need to have these, these bold conversations going forward. I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify anything, but I do, you're right that half the province is on fire this summer. And so I just think that the, the, the message of pausing wind and solar renewable projects is just, you're a compelling person, you know your file better than I do. Uh, but I still just think I for me, maybe I'm more concerned about the optics of it, Paul. You're 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 more concerned about like you're thinking of specific quarter sections. You're thinking of a, a specific landowner or a specific county, maybe. Um, but but, you know, bigger picture to me, I, I'll be honest, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it, but I'm open to the conversation. Can Can you give us a sense of how municipalities balance other developments with, you know, preservation of agricultural lands? Can can you give us like sort of at a layperson's level? Uh, an understanding of how that process works? You know, it's a struggle and, and I'll try not to use, you know, land use planning jargon, but, but, but imagine, you know, uh, we see, we see a piece of land as an opportunity. We see a, a piece of land as, as something that's in production and, and providing, uh, contributing to Alberta's GDP. And so we try to concentrate our development decisions where best possible, uh, applying good neighbor policy. Is this compatible? Is this compatible land use to adjacent land uses? You know, putting a, a country residential, shoving some houses beside a feedlot, not a great idea. Um, the neighbors typically complain, both the cattle as well as the people. Right. And so it's that compatible land use test. Um, we do have situations, and going back to Eileen's comment, we do have situations where, yeah, under discretionary use, I've subdivided areas that, that are in production, but concentrating commercial and industrial opportunities. So it's making that, that view and that big picture view and that strategic long-term view, and it's not easy. Um, as best possible, we need to be data-driven. We need to make sure that we're using information. It's not a popularity contest. I think back in the day, probably about 30, 40 years, it was a popularity contest. Um, now we're understanding that these multiple land use pressures, we have a pretty big task ahead of us, um, designing a, a future community for, for future generations, ensuring that we have agriculture, farming, developing, people have places to live. We have clean water, clean air, uh, and, and are still producing our own food. And so that balancing act is a day-to-day -day struggle for municipal leaders. And I think that um, this, again, is a context, and I guess we've been watching this, is that other agencies are making these decisions without considering the hard part that we go through, which is, is uh, speaking on behalf of our communities and ensuring that our communities have a voice. And I think that, uh, you know, going back to the, the, the pause, um, trust me, uh, because I probably was the only one, I think that publicly supported the moratorium. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, we didn't ask for the moratorium, but I respect the moratorium in context of, of just the complexity of the, the decisions being made. Um, a lot of industries were really concerned. Um, communication so far though, is a lot of companies are quite sure they'll proceed with their projects and undeniably a few, uh, projects that were probably tenuous at best or, or more complex. Uh, they may vacate, but I do believe there will be a healthy renewable industry 
at the back end of this. Um, and I know uh, folks folks have escalated the conversation, but I think it's important to understand that uh, that I think this industry is here to stay. We have a very favorable system here in Alberta. Uh, we're huge users of energy, and uh, and we need to have this 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 energy source as part of our mix. That's interesting to live. hear. So so the RMA did not ask the Alberta government premier's office any ministry for the moratorium. You're you're simply responding to what you saw. That's correct. Yeah, oh. we, we we didn't ask for a moratorium, but but in context of uh, the co- complex land use decisions that we're upholding, um, we're supporting the, that discussion. Some of the ancillary pieces around energy load, none of that stuff's in my lane. I could probably talk for hours offline, but I like to stay in my lane. That's how I'm a healthy politician. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Plain Power here is just trying to pick a fight with me in the live chat. Says, how about we start closing golf courses and use that land for farming? Uh, that's the worst idea I've heard all year. Um, that's not a real issue, is that? I think Plain Power is just trying to get under my skin. That's not is are, is development of golf courses an actual issue in losing good farmland? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you, Ryan. Uh, have have you're going to have a tough time running a golf course in the next ten years, uh, based upon the precipitation changes we're seeing across the province already. I've seen golf courses that are having an extremely tough time in the eastern part of the province. Um, I think that uh, golf 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 courses is going to be a tough business. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of artificial turf and some xeriscaping because um, if you look at the climate profile, we're going to have a tough show. Uh, we just put some artificial turf in our backyard. I don't know any golf course that's going to be able to afford fairways of artificial turf. That stuff's un- I had no idea how expensive that is. Um, here's, here's an interesting comment from Blaine. Blaine says, how is it fair to force farmers to maintain agricultural land that can't produce because of climate change with no alternative for revenue. That's an interesting one. I saw somebody else earlier. I wish I could credit them, but the comments gone said, why don't we put a moratorium on irrigation uh, talking about how valuable water is going to be over the next while. I mean, conversations we're having about farming are going to, are going to deepen and broaden over the next number of years. I know I don't have to tell you that. You, you, you know, let's start. And that's why I appreciate your show. We, let's start, start having these conversations. I mean, you know, we are going to be making fundamental choices on water. Are water going to go to uh, residential uh, lawn, lawn care or are these going to go to agricultural production? I mean, these these conversations are we're just touching on this. Uh, imagine the city of Calgary just had, I think, the first time they've had a water restriction uh, in history. Uh, that's a city of a million people with, with the anticipation that there's going to be another million people there. Um, and I think that uh, one conversation I have with a lot of folks is you actually, if you look at the Bow Glacier, which feeds the August runoff in the city of Calgary, um, that glacier is going to be gone in the year 2033. This is based upon the city of Calgary's reports. Um, so what's the city of Calgary going to do with another million people and they're not going to have their August flows going to be 15% less than what it is now with a future that could be potentially drier. Um, we need some big leadership. This this concept of of, of conversation around land use, uh, climate change, energy use. This is a super wicked problem. And the problem with super wicked problems is, I, I'm saving the world here, Ryan, with yeah. the uh, power going off. One light switch um, at a time. Yeah, just every time, just giving back. The uh, this the super wicked problem conversations are such that it is so complex and so hard. Uh, that people have a tough time making decisions. And I think that uh, collectively we need to have these discussions and start making these decisions to build resilient communities, to build resilient agriculture. Um, We need to start making sure that we have something in the piggy bank going forward uh, because this this is moving very quickly. Um, I think that the fires are, this is going to become the new normal and the new normal is pretty scary to me. 
Uh, Paul, I appreciate your availability on the show, and it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Before we go, I think like this was like maybe three interviews ago that we did. Like we're talking years back, previous terrestrial radio show, I think. But we were talking about unpaid oil and gas taxes uh, to municipalities, and my understanding is that that trend hasn't really changed, and it's become a real issue uh, for some municipalities. Do you have a, do you have a number pegged of, of like where that's at right now? Have there been any developments in the context of that? I'm just curious for an update. We had the government did did make some some moves to actually force the insurance of paid taxes on the transfer of assets. Um, that's caused some mobility in the industry for sure. Um, but but I you know I don't have any numbers as it stands right now. Fiscal year we bumped to the end of the year because of COVID. We actually extended um, tax that's due. Um, there are still some shady characters out there that um, aren't uh, aren't wanting to pay their taxes, and and the mechanisms available to us are quite little. So we want to make legislative changes to ensure that the payment of taxes. Uh, and we're going to continue to escalate the conversation on on uh, abandoned wells or or uh, contaminated sites. Um, the one thing, um, along with our uh, our indigenous friends in, in our communities as stewards of the land, um, we're stewards of, of of the land as well, and and we have the same context. We want to make sure that we have a healthy landscape and we have good operators. So we're keeping the pressure on. Um, you just should not be permitted to operate an oil and gas facility in the province of Alberta if you don't pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes. Like, I know what happens if I don't pay my taxes. Um, I, I've heard that it's upwards of a half a billion dollars. Does that sound right to you of what's being written off by municipalities? Well, we've, we've written off, uh, actually written off is, uh, yeah, half a billion dollars, pretty close to half a billion dollars. That's written off, let alone what's in the queue that, that's owed to us, uh, which is a quarter billion dollars. So on top of that. So, so imagine, three quarters of a billion know, dollars, unpaid taxes. Is, 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 is issues. And so this has to be fixed for the future. Um, you just shouldn't be permitted to operate. It's, it's plain and simple. It puts a black eye on in the industry. And, you know, I, what I hate, Ryan, is that, the amount of energy I spend on the small two or three percent that puts a bad name in, in for everyone that includes oil and gas and everybody else, boy, we spend a lot of energy on that 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 minority, um, and having to put rules in place. We should really just come down hard on on the bad dudes and make sure that they they do what should be right. And and I think that we'd have a better society if we came down a lot harder on the uh, those folks in the energy industry aren't paying their taxes. And I'm hearing that too from the folks in the industry. Yeah, uh, they don't they don't they don't like to be painted with this brush. They're good community not. investors. They're a great part of our community. Like. Uh, we just, you know, the, the, these companies just, uh, the hammer should come down and, and the AR needs to own it. They need to, they need to hammer on these guys. Well said. Paul McLaughlin is the president of the Rural Municipalities of Alberta. You can check out what they do, uh, more, learn more about their advocacy online at rmalberta.com. Paul, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Yep. Have a good summer. Yeah. You as well, buddy. Talk soon. Um, I saw some follow-ups on uh, on the live chat. Uh, Plain Power followed up and said, I'm, "I'm not trying to pick a fight with Ryan. I'm just having fun with you, buddy." He says, uh, "says I'm not trying to pick a fight with Ryan. I just think that you know, golf courses, you know, they do use prime." I saw somebody else. I don't know who it was said like golf courses is Justin use prime land everywhere uh, in cities. They take up otherwise public green space. It's elitist mm-hmm. and it's a huge waste. <laughs> uh, there, there's one city councilor in particular in Edmonton that's one he wants to shut down the Royal Mayfair Golf Club and and, and expand Horlack Park so there's more public space. It's a tough position to be in uh, to defend, especially for when some people, especially when they're private <laughs> to defend. <laughs> yeah private golf courses it's a tough position i, saw I agree some, they could be else. huge parks i mean yeah i mean sure there's we yeah i mean if we really want to debate we, we can find lots of great land for parks um 
somebody else said, oh, plastic grass, that's great for the environment. That's bunny slippers. Uh, and they, they, they include the, uh, the sarcasm note there. Um, you know what I learned about? So we did put in some artificial turf in our yard. Eden mm-hmm. Landscaping has been doing an amazing job for us. And uh, it is an investment. I'm not going to bullshit you. Like it's it's. Oh, I know. I looked at it way for, more expensive than I thought. I looked at it for like a six by eight piece. That's the only piece of grass we have in our backyard. Yeah. And I was like, what? Was it like five grand? It probably. Was, it was something like that. We ended up going and getting some like real grass and yeah. blended it. Saw it. Just redid it. Right. Yeah. And it was way cheaper. But yeah, it's. Um, there's no way you could do a whole golf course and have it be financially no, feasible. No, there's not a chance. Um, but I will say, I wanted to mention the bunny slippers. I thought it was interesting because that was something that was on our radar. Just I was curious to know about the the composition of it and how they make it, and what it's made from, and and it's and the stuff that we bought anyway is is actually made out of recycled plastic bottles. So. It's kind of interesting to know it is a recycled project. You see a lot of that stuff happening as well in playgrounds and a lot of the surfaces that they're mm-hmm. using, like the kind of rubber rubber surfaces on playgrounds. The new playgrounds are crazy. Bonkers. And a lot of them are like mainly recycled. Amazing. Stuff, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Made out of recycled tires and, and stuff like that. Um, we did consult with our friends at the Alberta municipalities. You know, you hear from them at least four times a year with the Alberta municipalities roundtable. Uh, we wanted their take on this. You've got the rural municipalities and then you've got the Alberta municipalities. Uh, what's their take on the moratorium? And, and here's what they told us. Uh, Alberta municipalities supports enhanced municipal input into approval processes consideration and respect for municipal land use plans and recognition of the local impacts of provincially regulated developments. Uh, That statement uh, on the record at our request from our friends at Alberta municipalities. In just a second, Johnny and I will talk about what went down last night. A really harrowing experience for the thousands of people that were at the biggest mall. Actually, it's not technically anymore, but one of the biggest malls in the world uh, a mass shooting, quite frankly, is what it was. Police say it was targeted. We'll get to the details, but we can't talk solar without mentioning our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. And I wanted to direct you to their blog today at kubienergy.ca. Uh, they've got a bunch of great information on, you know, stuff like, for example, wind and solar potential in Canada and the world. If, if you know, your, your neighbor's always saying to you, oh, you're going to freeze in the dark if you go, you know, check out the blog. I mean, there's really fascinating insight into how it all works. What could a career look like working in the renewable energy revolution? A great post on that. How much solar energy is required to power Alberta? Maybe not as much as you might think. This is just an example of the stuff you can learn when you visit the blog link at kubienergy.ca. Don't forget, you can get a free quote from them anytime. Get the ball rolling by starting on their website. Meantime, if you're looking for a new career, if you're a professional engineer or you're on your way to graduating from engineering school, Apex Automation wants to hear from you. They're working in Alberta, Saskatchewan. They're working across the Prairie Provinces. They're out in BC and and they're also down in Texas. They're working in Industry 4.0, engineering, fabrication, automation on really exciting projects. You got the kind of the classic energy stories, you know, potash mining, for example, in Saskatchewan, natural gas processing in Alberta. Uh, But then they also work for like craft brewers. They're working for farmers, helping them automate their machinery. I mean, really neat stuff keeping this country moving more rewarding job opportunities and better efficiency is what apex is all about you can find out how they empower their people by checking out the careers link at apexautomation.ca paul talking about gathering around the smoker 
Johnny, I recognize you. You may not want to hear this, but I got to gush for a second about the braised beef short rib that I had last night from Friesen Brothers. I just got, I can't help myself. I have to talk about it. So Carrie sent me a note. My wife sends me a note. She says, I'm popping by Friesen Brothers. She was out and about yesterday. She says, why don't I grab something from their kitchen? Like the hot and ready to go stuff. And uh, she says, what would you like? I said, well, obviously the braised beef. I don't say obviously. Carrie would never bring me anything home for me if I talked like that. But I said, please bring me the braised beef short rib. Mm -hmm. There is. I should have taken a picture of it, but it didn't last long enough. I got it with the scallop potatoes. I hit it with some horseradish. I had some roasted root vegetables, Johnny. (laughs) Oh! Well, Carrie, next time you're there, right next to the braised beef is those chicken fingers. Oh, the vegan vegan chicken fingers. Grab Johnny a six-pack of those. There you go. We'll bring them in, and we'll hook you up. That's just one of the things we love about Friesen Brothers. You can find them in 16 Alberta communities, uh, including in South Edmonton. You find more online at Friesen.com. And if grab-and-go is in the spirit of what you're looking for, but you're up in northwest Edmonton or maybe you're out in Sherwood Park, make sure you take a second to check out our friends at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road. I've been talking about their signature stack burgers. I love the bacon two cheese, the double cheese stacker. It's one of my favorites. But if you're on your way to a celebration, we know a lot of people are squeezing in the birthday parties. Some people are having the end of summer parties. Maybe you have plans for the Labor Day long weekend. Consider layers of celebration with a DQ cake. They're world-famous soft serve with that fudgy, crunchy, chocolatey middle. It's the perfect way to celebrate any occasion. You can pick them up ready to go or order yours custom, happiness, however you want it, with a Dairy Queen cake from the DQs in Northwest Edmonton, Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Last night, just uh, paying attention, just kind of scrolling on my phone, paying attention to Twitter right around, I guess it was about 9 o'clock, yeah. and all of a sudden you started getting kind of sporadic reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't know what was going on. Uh, the very first word was that West Edmonton Mall was in a lockdown, and then mm-hmm. details started leaking out from there. Yeah, scary stuff. So three people uh, injured. Uh, the shooting, which originally, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind is is someone running around the mall with a gun, an active shooter, right? Yeah, and and I think I think that's why everyone was on a Twitter. I'll never call it X again, um, and and just kind of being scared. But apparently, this morning, you know, listening to the reports, it was it was targeted. Gunmen knew the victims, uh, so we don't know much more than that. I'm sure when we get off air here, there'll be more that has come out. But uh, three people injured, and again, I think this is just kind of what we've been talking about with Bill C18. With with this and the fires, it's crazy that you you can't go on Instagram or Facebook and and see an update and and everything's kind of blocked. And so last night was one of the first times in a long time I went directly to news sites. I mean, we do it for the show, but this was something in real time where I was like, I need to go to, you know, whatever station, this station, and check what's going on, see who's got the scoop. But it's really scary that with all this stuff going on in the world, uh, especially in real time, you know crazy stuff that 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 we can't see stuff on facebook anymore that c18 is really like like kicked in fully and and, uh a lot of people were talking about that as it was going on too yeah um, like how do we get information this is crazy yeah so we we have a um a source that that i i don't feel comfortable naming but it's someone that would would have uh access or insight into um, some some information from Edmonton Police. Let's just put it that way. This is is credible information. Uh, I just can't cite the source, but but a note that police are investigating a potential link 
between events in Edmonton over this past weekend and the shooting in Simons last night. Mm. And I'm not sure if you saw that that Edmonton riot police, Edmonton's uh, the ERT, like that emergency response team, uh, read the riot act. As a matter of fact, over the weekend, responding to clashes across the city, um, stones, bricks, and other objects hurled at officers in riot gear. And these are violent clashes within the Eritrean community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Eritrea is just We saw a, them online, right? Yeah, the so this is, you know, the, the videos were wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you saw police in, like, full riot gear, uh, you know, stepping in between groups and factions, and it was getting violent and very unnerving for people. Uh, Eritrea, and, and I've only, I only say this because I've been there. I'm not acting like some sort of an expert. It's a very small country, um, uh, just basically northeast, just on, on the Horn of Africa, like north of Ethiopia. And um, there's there's uh, obviously uh, it's kind of an, probably for the average Canadian a subject that we don't know a lot about, but uh, it's a country that that uh, is under the regime of a dictator, a repressive dictatorship. And uh, these are clashes, including right here in Alberta's capital city of Edmonton uh, between anti-government and pro-government factions. And that was the case. That was what was fueling the riots this past weekend. And it is believed that there may be a link uh, to the shooting at West Edmonton Mall, the targeted shooting uh, with three people. Now, there had been some reports that people had been killed, as we understand right now, serious but non-life-threatening gun-inflicted wounds, gunshot wounds, uh, three Mm -hmm. people uh, in Simons in the department store. I walked through there with my son a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's just for for the average person that's in, like, gunfire in the mall. Yeah, you know what and is that, going that on. And that Eritrea, that that's a complicated situation. I try, I try sure, to read up on it. Sure, and I don't want to it. sit here and no, act like I know what I'm no, talking about. But you are right. The government very brutal, very authoritarian. And some people, I guess, were saying like any kind of celebration of that kind of community is just some people look down on. But mm. yeah, we don't know a lot about it. Uh, Prime Minister had, had had some pretty targeted words yesterday for Meta mm-hmm. for Facebook uh, in the context of the of basically the, of like the wildfires. Basically yeah. said, look what you're doing. Yeah. You know, people are trying to flee these these areas and, mm-hmm. and look for information and, and uh, they're having a hard time finding it. I just want to remind people like, w- w- you know, we so far have been spared uh, from this. Like, I guess we're, we're being treated a little differently. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. We're being treated differently than like the Globe and Mail and mm-hmm. CTV and CBC. Um, you're still able to share our interviews and share our content on these social media sites. But but just a reminder, you can always find us directly this might sound obvious but we just want to say you find us go directly to our youtube channel and thank you for subscribing go directly to wherever you get your podcast spotify apple Podcasts, wherever it is and and find the show there directly and you can still go to these other news sites as well if you're looking for breaking news just go directly to their websites um i know that it's going to take and i and i think that this thing's going to sort itself out i don't think it's a good I'm look pretty sure it will. i don't think the feds i don't think ottawa wants to fight with mark zuckerberg this whole time well, this happened in australia too and basically Basically, yeah. it was a stone wall, and then basically they, they came to an agreement. But we, we need to come to an agreement, and I see people on both sides. You know, they're blaming Facebook, and they're they're also blaming Meta, or sorry, blaming Meta. Blaming the government. And they're also blaming Trudeau. But, I mean, I, I mean, news organizations need to get paid to create content. You're not so going to have I'm, news organizations anymore. I'm kind of in the middle, too. I'm like, can we both just work this out? Yeah. A hundred percent. You can let us know what you think about anything that you're hearing here on the show. I'm going to tell you a little bit about who's coming up uh, tomorrow in just a second. But first, let me remind you that the show absolutely does not happen without the support of sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping. I'm talking to you about that artificial turf that we put in. Um, It's a little bit pricey, but... 
boy, does it ever look good. And Johnny, <laughs> I'm telling you what, I'm telling you what, I, I, I encourage both the dogs out there, go out there and pee on it as much as you want. That, is, that is the good thing about the, it. There That's why we want There will be no yellow it. spots. Yeah. There will be no brown dead spots on this anywhere, anywhere. And my heart is full. This is one of the things, and I know it sounds silly, but if you have dogs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I said to Mike, through that planning stage, when we were starting to put together the project and decide exactly where we were going to spend our hard-earned dollars on this, I was like, I got to be honest, the artificial turf is a priority for me. It really is. We put the lawnmower outside in the back alley. It was gone the next day. I hope whoever found it enjoys it because I'm not using it anymore. You can work with Eden Landscaping. What a pleasure to go through the design process with them. They're such great listeners and they did such a good job bringing our project to life. Carrie and I can't wait to reveal it all to you in future episodes of Real Talk. You can find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Local Environmental Services is putting out the call to decision makers, business owners. If you have a, a bar or a restaurant, if you have a clothing store, any sort of retail outlet where you're paying for a bin behind chances are you're paying too much for your garbage and recycling collection heck if you work for a municipality and make decisions anywhere in alberta or saskatchewan your bottom line is going to look a whole lot better when you take your business to local environmental services you can find more about what they do certainly not limited to garbage and recycling they're about so much more if you're putting on a music festival or something cool for the kids, a street performers festival, portable toilets, fencing, water hauling, you name it, they do it all at localenvironmental.ca. And every day that we enter this studio, we're grateful for the team at Complete Care Restoration, the quality of their craftsmanship. You know, we talk about how we invest our dollars and we, we talk about the decisions we make. It was easy from our very first meeting with Complete Care Restoration to decide that we were taking our business to them and we were trusting them with our project. Now, they're in the business of fire damage flood damage restoration if you've encountered that nightmare number one our thoughts are with you number two make the best move you can considering the circumstances and call complete care restoration today at 780-454-0776 coming up on wednesday's real talk she's going to be just back from the fifa women's world cup TSN Ottawa reporter Claire Hanna is in transit as we speak. On Wednesday morning, she's going to join us on the show. An Edmonton sportscaster last week says he was misquoted, but basically said having women broadcasters on their new station doesn't matter. And it started a big conversation that we think needs to go further. So that's what we'll do on tomorrow's Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.